Our guest on this latest episode of my film music podcast, Soundtracking, is a composer who's worked with the likes of Kenneth Branagh, Alfonso Cuaron, Mike Newell, Brian De Palma, Robert Altman and Ang Lee. It's fair to say, fellow Celt Patrick Doyle has compiled quite the CV since writing his first movie score at the end of the 70s. His latest project sees him collaborate with Brana for a tenth time on Disney's adaptation of Artemis Fowl, and we'll be hearing plenty from that score and others shortly. But first, a word from our friends at Grass & Co. Now, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll have heard me enthuse about them in the past, and they have very kindly given us a special offer for you. Now, Grass & Co. is a premium CBD range of the finest quality, ethically sourced CBD blended with therapeutic botanical ingredients. So I've been using it for well over a year now, but recently I did fall out of the habit of taking drops first thing in the morning and last thing at night. I then placed a new order and started back up immediately. And I've got to say the difference was instantaneous. I slept better. I felt less anxious. I was able to get through the day calmer and more focused. Let's be honest, in the situation we find ourselves in, who doesn't want to feel less stressed? Now, in the past, when I've tried other CBD products, I have struggled with the taste that it's left in my mouth. With Grass & Co and the way they blend the oil with organic botanical ingredients like ginger, turmeric, orange, ashwagandha, chamomile and mint, it makes the taste much more smooth and pretty delicious. Now, there are a number of ranges available with candles, nourishing body oils, pillow sprays to complement the consumable oil. I'm a big fan of the Calm range. 100% natural drops, which are direct, fast acting and taste great. Grass & Co. only use the best of the best organic CBD and botanicals with products that work with your body to deliver uplifting results you can feel instantly. Grass & Co. CBD oils contain no trace of THC and all the CBD products are totally legal to buy, consume and supply in the UK. Genuinely, I don't know how I would have got through lockdown as productively as I have without it. So how do you fancy getting 25% off and free shipping? All you've got to do is use the discount code SOUND at checkout and claim your 25% off the entire Grass & Co. Calm, Ease & Rest CBD ranges. So head to grassandco.com forward slash soundtracking now. And don't forget to use the discount code SOUND at checkout for the 25% off and free shipping. That's grassandco.com forward slash soundtracking. Discover CBD today. Visit grassandco.com for a better day. Grass & Co, life enhanced by nature. And so to Patrick, who really is absolutely wonderful company. We'll begin with his score for Artemis Fowl and a cue entitled Beechwood Short. Listen, it's so lovely to um, get the chance to ch talk to you because you've been around my world for so many years with your incredible music that you've, you know, been making for years and across so many different films. That's what I love about about the work that you do. Um, and I watched Artemis Fowl yesterday. All right. With my two boys, I've got two boys who are um, seven and eleven. Oh, perfect. Exactly. Oh yeah, a great age for it. So, so great. And, uh, and, and again, working with Sir Kenneth Branagh. Uh -huh. You guys got a long-standing working relationship with that. Can we start with Artemis Farrow, if you don't mind, sort of diving into it a bit? Because it's a film that's got so many kind of little sort of themes to it, almost, in terms of the film, not, not particularly the music, but it's obviously got that kind of 
Celtic twist to it. It's got adventure to it. It's got lots of lovely um, elements to it that I wondered if they were great for you to kind of to grab onto when you were thinking of score. Yeah, yeah. It's a very contemporary picture. The look of it's contemporary, although it has this, this all this incredible world of of magic and fairies and uh, this, this this other world that appears throughout it. But my initial, when I read the script, I initially thought it'd be a wonderful uh, opportunity for a fusion between the world of rock music and Celtic music. Not 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 for the first time has, has it been done. I thought this would be a very good opportunity because some real rock and roll moments, especially when you see. Judy Dench's character, you know. Oh, Emerald Goddess. That's right, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and that, it's, a, yeah, it's a great opportunity. We see if we've got some electric guitar going on there. You know, she rocks. The film does rock, <laughs> and also um, I was looking for a very good uh, fiddle player. This fiddle player who could who could play a lot of those fast-moving figures, as well as sounding Celtic, sort of close mic recording technique. And I found this girl called Zoe Conway, and I was so inspired by playing that I end, ended up writing the main theme for Artemis Fell and his father. Uh, the main theme sort of sprung from hearing her play, really. Astonishing player. Bill Whelan has written a violin concerto for her, you know, who, who wrote, composed River Dance. So she was great fun. She came she flew over from Ireland. That was great. So the fusion of, of Celtic and rock became quite, and it's quite a cool score. And, um, you know, uh, I suppose I'm always, I'm always keen to keep my scores as contemporary as possible and to move you know, with the times. And uh, so it's a great opportunity to have those, that fusion.
I love the whole kind of um the kind of tension from the start because you have you're straight in there with score at, you know at the very beginning sort of thing and it almost kind of gives you a little peak or gives you a little kind of idea of that there's going to be you know there's loads going on and you've got to really pay attention because there's you know there's there's something to solve in this in this journey that we're about to go on. and I love how the music can kind of can kind of tease you in that way it's brilliant well, it's, it's uh, it changes on a sixpence, uh, <laughs> and there's there's lots and lots of music in them. It's more than wall to wall music. It's a fun movie, you know. It's, it's a movie, you know. It's, as you say, it's full of twists and turns. It's got magic and it. it's got a thriller element. It's got adventure. It's got epic, sweeping, lovely sweeping movements, and uh, you know, and, and some really interesting characters. Um, it's a film that appeals to, uh, I suppose, to all age groups. It's a family picture. You'll probably find that. Yeah. An adult. It's got a thriller sort of um, element to it for. Uh, an adventure for for the for the young ones. So it's it's a real family picture. Uh, it's one of those rare things where you could like if we were if I was able to have my mum and dad come and stay, that you know the three generations of us would all sit down and watch together. It would be one. It's one of those. It's absolutely brilliant, and they're a wonderful thing to have the opportunity to do. Miss that. The great actors and the great performances in it. You know, it moves. Like, it's 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 fast moving. It's it's great. It's it's great fun. Costumes are, are fabulous and the sets are great. You know, the whole thing. So I've, I mean, all these large, what they call them, tent pole films are very challenging for all the departments, including the music. Yeah. What point, do you, what point did you come on board with this then? Were they, were they filming? Had, had they started filming? Or at what point did you start thinking about the music? Well, I read the script, um, as I always do in advance, and my idea starts to formulate at the moment I read a script. The imagination starts to, you know, starts to... Um, sort of a blossom, and then I have early discussions with um, with Ken Branner, and uh, uh, I give Ken my first instincts, which are always your strongest. In, in the matter of what field you work in, whether it's journalism, your your instinct tells you to write it this way, or or to go for that story, or or not to do that, or whatever. So we all follow this very strong thing we have a uh, musical, and are also a, a, a animal instinct. And I use I use I tap into that, and I believe in it all the time. My first idea for a film usually is my last idea. <laughs> I love that. It never really changes. You know, your very first impression is what, you know, if you see a weakness in the script, and there's nothing in this, but if you see a weakness in the script, it ends up on the screen. And you think, well, I'll have what to do there So uh, on certain projects. So uh, certainly your first impression is, is very, very strong and lasting. Is it as exciting for you working with, with Kenneth and the fact that he's this kind of really, oh, he's like a polymath when it comes to the types of films that he works on in terms of, you know, whether it's a, I mean, I love the um, uh, All Is True, you know, his beautiful kind of um, dive into to the, to the soul of Shakespeare, really. I thought it was a beautiful film or, or whether it's, Thor, you know, or Cinderella, or, or or this sort of thing. He's he's kind of you know, it's, he's never set in one stone in terms of the types of films that he makes as a director. Is that the appeal or part of the appeal for you as well in terms of working with him 
you know, over a number of years on, on so many projects for a, as a composer? Well, he's, he's a very curious person, interested person, and he's got an astonishing sort of visual uh, memory and recall. And is great, as you see, a, a polymath interested in all aspects of, of the, the world of art. And certainly, um, you know, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met and likes a challenge, likes a change. And that's what I do, you know, and uh, he's always planning ahead and never just project to project. He, he plans ahead and to a lesser degree, I do the same. I like to plot and visualize, you know, work further down the road. And that's what he does. He never, he's a full diary because he really is a, an instigator and um, he's a, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't react. He, he's a, he's a person who actually creates and uh, proactive all around a very, very interested and intelligent, smart person. Do you, do you almost have your own sort of shorthand with each other when you're working together in terms of, you know, I guess there's, there's an incredible honesty that can, that can flourish with the relationship that's been so successful for so long in terms of, you know, working together that you can be completely honest with things are working and when they're not working because that's as important to hear as when they are working, I imagine, as well. But, but is there a kind of shorthand now between the two of you in terms of when you're working together on a project? Well, yeah, well, there was... There was really from the word go, Edith, when I first met him, there was just something, there are certain people you meet and you're completely on the same wavelength. It's almost an unspoken thing. And there's a sort of synergy and telepathy goes on where you can read each other's minds. You know, but we're all good friends. You think, well, I must um, contact blah, blah, and the phone rings or whatever. Yeah. You know, I suppose that's a kind of classic example. That is, and I, I believe that's not a coincidence. That's, that's, that really is magic. So... There's, a, there's always been this great um, empathy and sympathy as, as, between the two of us. And, uh, and also, you, 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 you try to be ahead of the game uh, and to make the job of, uh, I suppose, of everyone in the film is to make his job as you know, light as possible, take some of the weight off him. And, um, but also, as you said there, that there's, there's an honesty there where, where he does trust me. To, uh, if, I, if I feel if there's something for me isn't working, that maybe no one has picked up on or they don't like to say, then I'll eventually, if I see the film long enough, it's always work in process. And I always learn not to say anything if anything is slightly concerning me because usually nine times out of 10, he notices as well. So he's let that matter sit there in order to, to see what develops in the picture and to see whether, oh, actually that has to go or, or I need to keep that or whatever. So, I all I usually bring something like up at, like that up at the last minute, and uh, not until then because I can live with it for a long time because he's got a job to do. But again, it's, he he's completely passionate, which I am about every project, and I treat it like my first. And I haven't lost my enthusiasm for the for the job. I just love it, you know. So um, that's something we both share. Yeah. I am. Um, I watched. Uh, I was watching a couple of little videos on online with you earlier on as well, and it's it was lovely. There was one of you were showing, giving somebody a guided tour around your, around your your studio here. It was brilliant. I was like, oh, I'm such a nosy Parker. I was like, oh, amazing. Look at that. All your posters up. Is that great expectations behind you as well? I see there. Well, I don't like, know what's behind me. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, yes. It's, it's brilliant. Amazing. thing as well when you look at the directors you know we talked we've been talking a lot about Kenneth Branagh but when you look at the directors that you've you, you've worked with over your career it's extraordinary you know Brian De Palma with Carlito's Way and I know Alfonso Cuaron with Great Expectations and stuff and I, I imagine with every different director as well you know everybody works differently don't they and everybody has their own way of, of being creative and their own needs and wants 
is that a nice thing? Is that a nice part of the job of that of that kind of unknown and stepping in, working with a new director or a new person? Yes, it, it, I suppose it, it demands a certain kind of confidence and assurance. And the more experienced you are, the more you have that. But there's always that you know insecurity and that, that, that the artist in you, um, without sounding too pretentious, that is anxious because you unless there's a certain degree of anxiety, then you you, you never really do your best. But yes, it's a challenge seeing working with different directors. I, yeah, I always look forward to. Um, I, I, I have a you know a, a real need for change, as I said earlier, and it is fascinating to to work in different ways. They all have their own ways of working, but usually at the end, you can sense your passion, and enthusiasm for it, and if you're really immersed in it and giving it your all, I'm always surprised at how you know some of the basic things of uh, Mike Newell said, for example, who did directed Harry Potter. I worked with Mike, did Donnie Brasco with me. Mike said, "You've actually read the script. You've actually know the story." <laughs> I thought, but well, that's my job, you know. Um, <laughs> he was, I mean, he was just so in, so enthused and so delighted that I actually got the picture. So, well, if you're reading something, you have very strong impressions of something. And uh, as, you, as I said earlier, even with Ken, you know, I will speak up and say, what do you think? What, what, you know, I'll suggest things and throw in some ideas. And, you, and directors love that. As long as it's, you know, backed by a real knowledge of the story, and the narrative, and then the see you've done your homework. And I remember with Brian De Palma, I, I, I said to him, I said to him, oh, I love this shot here. It reminds me of the Edward Hopper painting. And he says, you're catching all my references, Patrick. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that. And he goes, no, that's fine. And it's like he thought, well, he knows his Hopper. Um, so <laughs> but either, either you, you own up to knowing that or they see, well, He's done his homework in life. Yeah. That's what I say to all these young budding composers is that you've got to go to theatre, you've got to go to museums, you've got to read a lot, you've got to do all these things because it allows you to do all these disparate um, and, and, and changing films. And, you know, if, you've, if you bring all that general interest that you have in, mm. in life in terms of the world of art, um, smart people pick up on it very quickly, as you know. <laughs> I am. Um, I know that I'm going to run out of time t- trying to talk to you about all the films I want to talk to you about because there's so many. And I mean, Carlitos weighs one weirdly when I was when I when I knew I was coming to talk to you. It's on my. I'm making lists of films that I want to watch whilst I'm on lockdown. You know, in terms of those films that I haven't watched for a while that I want to go back to and watch. And Carlitos weighs definitely one of them. Sense and Sensibility was a beautiful score, Ang Lee. We were lucky enough to have him on the podcast a while back, actually. What a lovely, what a lovely man he is. Very, very nice. Very nice. I had a ball on it. Um, <laughs> it's a beautiful, it's a, it's, the thing is, the script is, was solid gold from Emma Thompson. And uh, he just shot what was on that script. He, he was absolutely, he was so respectful of that wonderful story, the adaptation that she did. Yeah. No, it was a great experience, very memorable experience. I'm so proud to be part of it.
and she worked with Emma, who I'd met long, long ago before she was famous, uh, way back in 90, was it 90? Oh, when was it now? No, 89 or something. It's only Earth years, it's fine. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> anyway, it was great working with them, and it was a lovely, it's a, a lovely picture, a fantastic picture. I, I watched it the other day, the first time since I scored it all those years ago, because of lockdown, I thought, let's watch this. I thought, it's still a beautiful picture. Oh, it is. And, this, and the score is just absolutely gorgeous. It really, really is. I loved Brave as well. Oh, man. I mean, I felt like there were so many parts of it, you know, growing up in a wee fishing village in Scotland as well. I was like, I was Merida for most of my life. Do you know what I mean? Get me out! I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine you. <laughs> Your other Just plan. missing the red hair. Do you know what I mean? Other plan. Was, yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. <laughs> but um, hearing you talk about that film uh, and creating that score and the magic that you kind of sprinkled with the score that you created for that, it sounded like you had a lot of fun making that score. Well, the, the filmmakers were, were amazing and Pixar were amazing and they brought me over there and uh, um, I didn't realize they were, they were um, what's the word? Um, wooing me they were wooing me to do the picture and i'm thinking what <laughs> i'll pay you to do the picture um, no so so they brought me in and they showed me all they brought me into this room i had three meetings with them before they decided we're doing this and they, they brought me into a room and there was bits of scotland there was a bit of a silver birch tree there was a stones there was heather and i completely burst into tears because i was i was in san francisco and i was like a big stop i thought I was so touched. These pictures of them, and you know, sagging in the water and uh, lying in the, the soaking heather, and bits of um, uh, moss. And uh, I remember I was just so moved because you don't realise how how deep rooted your 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 upbringing is until you're away from home, and it's a bit of a cliche. And then people show you all the love and respect for your culture it's a bit overwhelming really so um it was a great experience and uh yes it was full of magic and they were open for ideas and certain words i helped with some of the lyrics and uh i was saying that's i, I most i can find you more Scot- something more scottish than that they kept saying is that a bad word or is that a scottish <laughs> word <laughs> proper scottish word gallus is a scottish word <laughs> you know there was like can we trust these people <laughs> yeah because billy Connolly. Yeah, exactly. With the big yin in there, you have to be careful. Anyway, so they were just fantastic people. I was like, I'm so proud to be involved in that score.
and we did a live performance at Celtic Connections last year with the orchestra, the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra. That was amazing. I introduced it, wrote a wee introduction, and I introduced the orchestra to all the kids in the audience and the adults, and that was a great experience. wonderful thing that's obviously we're, we're, we're not able to do that at the minute but but that's becoming a more and more popular thing in terms of these wonderful opportunities that we get to go and sit in a theatre and hear film scores being played live and oh it's extraordinary. Well it's been my dream you know since I started in film I realised loving opera I, I realised then that you know because I knew that um, in the very early, early days of silent films when they had a big premiere, they would have a live orchestra, whether it was New York or LA, they have music all the way through with a live orchestra as opposed to the piano in your local town hall. And I thought, well, why can't they bring that back? And uh, sure enough, that's where we are now, so I'm thrilled. Yeah. When, what, what made you want to write for, for film, to write, to compose? Because I know you studied music, but, but taking that step into, what, what was the thing? Well, it was never my plan, but I was always acutely aware of music and film and music and drama. And I would always sort of do fake scores for fun at the academy with my friends, you know, at parties and stuff. And I would reenact imaginary scenes from movies and stuff with the music. I suppose looking back in it, and uh, it, was, it seemed inevitable, really, only in retrospect. But I, I just so happened when I met Kenneth Branagh, he was doing a film, Henry V, and uh, it was the first time and the last time I've ever lobbied to do a film. I was very, it was very nerve-wracking, but we got there. Um, the, and it, wasn't, it wasn't my game plan, but... It was always, I'm always, I was always passionate about film and always very, very tuned into, obviously, tuned into how the music and the drama work together. I remember very, very early when a, a, a travelling trip came, the Glasgow um, Theatre about Glasgow came to um, my high school mm-hmm. and uh, they only had a tape recorder and it was an excerpt from a, a Bertolt Brecht play, Galileo, and they put on this tape recorder, an old Grundig, and started acting with sort of Renaissance music playing. And I thought... I completely buy this now. I was transported. And uh, I was more interested in who chose the music and why, why this worked so well it, when they were listening two feet from you. I mean, I thought I'd be, as I say in Scotland, I'd be totally affronted. But in <laughs> fact, I wasn't. And I thought, I couldn't believe how these people weren't affronted. But again, from a from very early age, I was more interested in the music and how it interacted. So it's always been there. I really loved as well... Um... The, the score you did for um, Robert Wyatt's, um, Rupert Wyatt's, sorry, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. He's a nice man as well. What a, and he's such a good, I wish he would do more. He's like one of those directors who, and I'm sure we just don't hear the stories of projects that have fallen through and that's the sort of sad side to all this is all these projects that end up not getting the light of day or whatever. But I thought his Rise of the Planet of the Apes was a fantastic film. Oh yeah, I think it's. I think. I think. I mean, if I, uh, although it's obviously I'm biased, but I think that's as the strongest film. I think that. No, I, I thought that he did a great job, and um, when I first saw it, I was completely blown away by it. Even then, I, I only saw one rendered picture of this. It was just it's an experimental picture, just to see how it would look, mm. a, a demonstration one, and just was um, when Caesar turned and looked, and I was. I thought, this is unbelievable. You can actually look into the soul that that animal.
So I knew, I knew when I saw, even when they're all running around with the little sort of CGI stuff, the and mics everywhere. I knew, <laughs> yeah, I knew this was going to be amazing. I could, I could make the leap, pardon the pun, um, and I knew this was going to be a huge success, which it was. Yeah. Um, but a very difficult picture, hard to score. Was it? How come? Well, it's uh, at one point, you know, the score was not going the right way, and it wasn't quite. It just wasn't quite gelling. I wasn't. I couldn't quite get into his head, Ripper's head. And then it sort of clicked, but very late in the day. And and I rewrote probably fifty percent of it in the last two weeks. Whoa, whoa! Which is not unusual. Were you a trooper? Anyway, it all worked out terribly well. So um, one of those jobs, um, but um, no, he was great fun. And uh, yeah, well, he's, I, mean, I know he's done a lot, a lot of work since. We were meant to be doing uh, the second one, but that never happened. He went on to another project and I went, I went on to other things as well. But anyway, he's still busy as far as I know. Yeah. Thor as well. I mean, what Ken did with that with that whole franchise as well and what he injected into to that Marvel world, you know, the kind of Shakespeareanness of, of, of that, I think particularly with that, the villain character of Loki, you know, in terms of the way that, that Hiddleston kind of, you know, he was very Shakespearean, very sort of Shakespearean, you know, in the way that, and it's what it needed because it kind of gives that whole, you know, I think that's the brilliant thing. And then again, when you look further down the road with like um, the Thor Ragnarok film, that Taika directed in terms of that, the comedy that was in, it's brilliant how all these different directors and, the films that they bring with them will kind of, you know, take it down a slightly different direction. And I think that Ken's Thor with, with your score was, was, was kind of just brilliant for that whole Marvel franchise at the time as well. Was that fun to, to create? No, very difficult, very difficult. <laughs> Those, all these technical, intent pole movies are extremely difficult um, because it's all huge music. Bigger, louder! <laughs> <laughs> it's something writing a little piece of piano score, you know. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy who does a huge orchestra, so it's like if, it, if it's if it's big in the screen, as the score is as big as, as you're looking at. Great fun, so supportive. Kevin Feige, the um, who's the sort of top Marvel guy, is a huge fan, and it was great. We both had a, a ball at it, Ken. And, and what he brought, which you which you mentioned, he brought comedy into the to to that story and subsequent into the franchise, and that wonderful mixture of irony and a little sort of cheeky comedy in the midst of this drama, great drama as well. You can do everything. I suppose in that sense, he, he, he knows that from Shakespeare. We all know that from Shakespeare. I mean, 
there you're in the middle of the Scottish plea. You know, I won't even say the word. But in the middle, you're middle of that Scottish because with M and as with H. Um, <laughs> you're middle of that. You're middle of that. You're middle of that play. Suddenly you've got this porter, this comedy porter guy comes on because it's, it's so horrible. I mean, they have been involved in the play a few t- play a few times. It's so horrible by that point. You think, oh my god, this is, these people are ghastly. Then you think. She's been like, a wee bit of light relief here. And he brings in this porter to make you laugh. And you think, I've been laughing, he's back, straight back into the drama. So to be able to do that, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a proven, it's a proven formula. You know, he's got, he injects comedy into all these dark, dark, dark stories. So I suppose you took, you took this, and I suppose in a sense, this almost kind of larger than lifeness, um, rather than look, looking odd with a odd with a cape, and it was totally natural in terms of how he was completely in another world, the way he spoke, not slightly, slightly not normal, but, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, sort of not in a different space, sort of slightly kind of spaced out, worked, and he managed to get that wonderful, delicate balance, and that doesn't happen without great minutiae directing that. It really takes a lot of work for a director to guide an actor, you know, to make sure. And once the character gets that, then he's 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 adapted that throughout the franchise. Chris as well. Yes, yeah. he's done a, a fantastic job, and um, he really got that lovely balance perfectly. I am. Um, I we watched Thor Ragnarok again the other night. Actually, the other one, and uh, I don't know if anybody else noticed, but when when they go see him and he's he's you know fat Thor and he's in his island having time out, he's got a wee bottle of Iron Brew in the background. <laughs> Yeah, I think somebody mentioned that. <laughs> yes, I don't know where that came from. No idea, but I love it. I love it. I think it's brilliant. He's a really, really great guy. Oh, so it's oh, so good to watch. Um, you talk about the kind of you know the the, the sort of grandness in their hard scores. What are the easier? What's what was the, what was the ease? What's been the easiest score to work on? Would you say? Well, well I did a I did a, a French. Uh, I worked with a great French director, I worked with the mighty Regis Varnier. Oh, lovely. I, and I tried to explain to him who Reg Varney was. I don't know if you remember Reg Varney. <laughs> he was in, on the buses. He goes, Reg Varnier? Who is this person? I don't know. I couldn't buy Reg Varnier. That's just hard to explain. But <laughs> he, he was Reg Varney, but a very famous director. <laughs> lot of us. Anyway, so... And I can't remember how I got onto this. Oh, yes. Um, I did a film, a film with him, and I watched this beautiful picture. Just little gem. And I went away and I went into the office the next day and I wrote the main theme, which is, is everywhere in the picture. And I thought, well, I can't tell him for at least a couple of weeks because he thinks it's easy. <laughs> so I kept it quiet for a couple of weeks. And I, I said to him, months later, I said, Reggie, you have to. I think I've got something. I, I wrote that. I wrote that yogs <laughs> before I met you. And I was like, I was like drumming with my fingers until you appeared. He goes, it's okay. <laughs> I loved it. I thought, I thought I tell me it's that easy. I'm okay, <laughs> um, but um, it's, it's not always like that. But that was one of the ones that was uh, again because I was so confident in in his taste, and uh, he was so relaxed with me. He's great fun, and uh, the picture was so solid that I felt. Uh, in fact, this song appeared today, which was, uh, uh, this theme ended up being a song at the end, and sung by Jill Gomez, a soprano. So um, it does happen. There's a real beautiful sense of sensitivity as well in the in the score for a United Kingdom, Amashanti's film. Um, she's a, a, a wonderful filmmaker as well. The subtleties in that score, I thought, were were beautiful. Just really. Oh, she is a fabulous director and uh, really um, a really really strong person. Very very absolutely um, decisive and knows exactly what she wants. And I love that. I love. I completely can this is what I want, I don't want that, I want it this one. It's just great. It's fabulous directing, it's really strong, um, and very smart ideas. And you know, indisputable, you know, that well, that's great, that's a great point of view, and really a great, a great collaborator. 
No, I loved working with her, and, and uh, she's a, a really a proper filmmaker. Yeah. Proper film, the real deal, the real deal. Patrick, I could talk to you for hours. It's so lovely. It's <laughs> so, so great. Hopefully we get to do it in person at some point as well. Because I've, I've got another like 45 films I want to talk to you about. <laughs> it's hard to believe I've done so many of them. Oh, I, could be, I would be here for days. Days, as you know, because you wrote them. But listen, congratulations on, on, on Artemis Bar, the latest one that we get to enjoy. And, and, uh, and it is a, it's a brilliant film. It really, really, And I love the use of voices in there as well. There's a few brilliant use of voices in the score as well, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Yes, yes. That was great fun, a, a, a privilege to work in it, and uh, it's a very. I must say about I must say about Disney, the music, the music department in Disney for all the years I've worked over thirty years, they're incredibly supportive of composers and and scores. They really they they place a great value on music. You can tell by the legacy they've they've left, but um, they are so supportive. So. Um, you know, you can't work, you could never work for a better studio. Really, it's been fabulous. Amazing. Patrick, you take care. It's so lovely to chat to you. Stay safe. All the rest of you, Judith. Take care. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Score to Artemis Fowl, that's You're Not Going by Patrick Doyle, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the delightful Scottish composer. My huge thanks to Patrick for taking the time to talk to us. Artemis Fowl is available to watch on Disney Plus now and is great fun for all the family. We'll put up a Spotify playlist for the show via edithbowman.com, which is also the place you can catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my chat with the aforementioned Ang Lee. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and please do subscribe to our wee YouTube channel to watch a weekly show that I'm putting together with a whole range of guests from the creative industries. Next up, none other than someone who we've just mentioned, director Ama Asante. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. 
In the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>